And uh, thank you for coming again to the house of God and we'll see what God has for us. I felt as I was <coughs> preparing to come over that I would bring some word of testimony tonight. I don't often bring a word of testimony, to be honest. I suppose I somehow feel that if you're not called to preach, then that's the business of the ones who can testify. But I felt from the Lord that I should bring a word of testimony tonight, and I pray that God will bless it to us. In Jesus' name. I want to begin by quoting a very familiar passage of Scripture from the book of Acts, the 26th chapter. We find in that chapter that Paul the Apostle is a prisoner in chains, standing before Festus, the Roman governor, King Agrippa and Bernice. Now, King Agrippa is very familiar with the Scriptures, as Paul points out to him. But strangely, Paul does not openly allege or expound from the Scriptures that Jesus is the Christ, as he has done many, many times before. Instead, he brings a testimony of a powerful encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ, as we know, on the Damascus Road. And we'll just pick up Paul's testimony in the very centre, in verse number 13 of the 26th chapter of the book of Acts, where Paul says, At midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun, shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. When we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee. And may God bless his word to our hearts tonight. Here was a man effectively on the wrong road, heading in the wrong direction, under the wrong authority, and carrying the wrong commission. Monster, man who persecuted the church of Jesus Christ, and yet God met him on that road. And I want to say, dear friends, God will meet us on the road of life. We may be heading in the wrong direction at a thousand miles an hour, up to all the wrong things, governed by the wrong influences in life. But God in his sovereign power will meet us 
on the road to life. Something wonderful about this passage, I just want to comment on, there's many things I could comment on, where Paul says, and when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue and so on. Every person in that party that day fell to the earth. Every man, jack of them, was aware of a supernatural power, a blinding light from heaven. Every one of them rose from that road, dear friends, with an experience they'd never, ever forget. But only one man heard the voice of God. And only one man rose, born again, and gloriously saved. You know, we can sit in a church meeting and be aware that there's a power, a supernatural something is happening. But until we hear the voice of God to our hearts, dear friends, it's just a form of religion. God must speak to our hearts and give us ears to hear. Well, I'll say a few things about how I came to Christ. I'll not go far into my past. I was born in the middle of the last century. Sounds rather historic, doesn't it? <laughs> Southwest London. Went to school near Wimbledon. Can't play tennis, but I went to school near Wimbledon. My folks were good folks, Church of England folks, but they weren't saved. Marvelously, my mother died when she was 89 years old. She came to Christ 10 days before she died in our front bedroom back there at Burnham-on-Sea. It was a glorious and marvelous moment. But I was brought up in the Church of England. I liked music. And so for about 11 years, I was in the choir. I loved singing. Uh, otherwise, I couldn't be bothered found the services boring, reading through that book of the liturgy, you know. Same thing week after week after week. I got tired of that. But I love singing. When I came to the age of 18, I left home and I left church. And apart from compulsory services, weddings and funerals, I never went back to church again. I found myself down at university in Bristol, really a godless man, I suppose, with no intentions towards God whatsoever. And how many can say God, you look back and you see how God was working in your life. There was I, first-year student, top corridor, Hall of Residence, and opposite me, directly opposite me on that corridor, was a third-year engineering student called Graham, and he was a very fervent evangelical Methodist. And from the moment I appeared on that corridor, Graham bothered me. <laughs> he badgered me. Come to a prayer meeting, come to a Bible study, come to a Sunday evening service. I said, Lord, Graham, I'm not interested. Take it away, I don't want to know. Don't bother me, Graham. No, no, no. But he did bother me. I suppose I should thank God he did. Until I came to a place, I said, look, Graham, if I come to an evening service with you one Sunday evening, will you leave me alone? 
He said, yes. I said, right, next Sunday I'll go to church with you. That was the deal. Cold November night, none of us had a car in those days. A party of us set off across the Bristol Downs in the darkness, down into Clifton. And there was an evangelical Church of England church down there called Christ Church Clifton. That's where all the students got in, the Christian Union ones and all the rest of it. The place was packed to the back, jam-packed to the gunnels. Graham took us right up to the front rows and sat us down there. And I sat there feeling I'm in the wrong place altogether. In those days, there was a board with the hymn numbers on the board, and so I grabbed a hymn book, and I leafed through, and I found, oh, I know most of these hymns. I'll have a good old sing, and then we can all go home. And that's the end of it, and Graham will leave me alone. And so the young vicar got up. He was rather a personable chap, and he began to introduce the service, introduced the first hymn, and then the organ did that kind of warm-up stuff, you know they do. And we all stood up, and I took a deep breath, and I opened my mouth, and praise my song. No. 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 There was a young student behind me. He was as tone-deaf as a telegraph pole. Voice was like a dirge, you know, just a monotone. In fact, I'm not even sure it was a tone, I think it was just a mono. Furthermore, he gave it the Wellington. I mean, he really went for it into the back of my neck, and I thought, oh no, I can't even enjoy the hymns. I look back now and I realize that young man was possibly born again. And he was making melody in his heart to the Lord. His voice was a load of rubbish, but his heart, <laughs> but his heart was pure, can you say amen? And God listens to our hearts, doesn't he? He's not listening to some wonderful operatic voice, he's listening for the heart. <laughs> and I look back and think that young man must have had a wonderful heart towards God, making melody in that heart to the Lord, but his voice was all... Oh. Couldn't appreciate it at that time. Got through the service. Right, let's all go home, make our way back across the downs there. No, we're going to go and have coffee in someone's flat. And the hall chaplain was going to be there. I thought, oh no, this is crackers, you know. The only thing I can remember about that coffee time, there was a young lady student there who I thought was quite pleasant. But I thought, that she's probably a Christian, so there's no point going there. You know, so that was the end of that one. Anyhow, that was a bit of experience back then. I wish I could meet that fellow Graham again. And say, Graham, do you remember me? That reprobate on the top corridor. Amen. And how you persuaded me to go to church. Well, I'm a preacher now by the grace of God. <laughs> preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Well, I trained to be a teacher. And uh, having done that, I got into a, a large independent boarding school in Somerset. Had quite a good job there. But I was, in brief, I suppose, a godless man, a Christ-rejecting man, 
For many, many years I'd lived in effect a double life. I was one thing on the outside in my professional exterior and so forth, something else behind the scenes. And after many years of that kind of living, to be honest, dear friends, that double life was tearing me in pieces on the inside. I came to despise the kind of man I was. I was a first-rank hypocrite. And I began to suffer from the symptoms of my sin. Of course, I never called it sin. Sin is just one's personal rebellion against God. I wasn't a very, very bad man. Just an ordinary, average sinner. I turned my back on the Lord Jesus Christ. My sin was simply a brand, my particular personal brand, of my rebellion against God Almighty. I did my thing and I did my thing my way. I had no time whatsoever for the gospel or Jesus Christ or anything. The only time I can remember, uh, because Anne and I, before we were married, had had a long-ish relationship, you know, before we got saved, say no more. And Anne was more tender and religious than I was. And when Billy Graham came to Ashton Gate, she wanted to go. Now, I didn't want to go, but I loved the girls, so I went. And I remember standing in that stadium and I didn't remember the message or anything like that. And then came the altar call, the call to the front there. And Anne disappeared into the crowds. And I'm left there standing in the rain thinking, how do we get out from here? You know, I've lost her. She's gone. But that was the only time I went to a gospel meeting. So I was a godless man, but I began to suffer from the symptoms of my sin. Turmoil of mind, disturbance on the inside. I couldn't even identify what it was. Other times, deep and dark depression. Sit like a zombie, four or five hours at a time, just gazing into space, just inertia, demotivated, wondering what I was doing in a kind of a fog. I couldn't move. Other times, I just felt like cutting loose and running away. Used to drive up the Somerton Hill. The school was a turn off to the left there. Many a time, especially this time of year, if the weather was fine, I felt like driving on beyond that, turning down to the Dorset or Devon coast and just get lost there and become a beachcomber. I never did. But I was struggling inside. That time I lived all alone. Anne and I weren't married. And, uh, you know, we both, I suppose, if we're honest, have made a bit of a mess of life and so forth. We had, she had three daughters. I had a son and a daughter and the mess in the background of that, you know, that kind of the normal kind of mess. But anyhow, I lived alone in the Somerset town of Glastonbury, the new age capital of Europe. But I wasn't a spiritual man. I wasn't interested in body crystals or ley lines, or the vibes. You know, I thought the whole thing then was a bunch of junk. I know it is now. But I wasn't really spiritual. wasn't interested in anything of those kinds of things. Lived in a little terrace cottage, two up, two down. And half term, it was February, just past 35 years ago, this past February. 
And I woke one morning, dear friends, facing again the black wall of depression. Something inside me said, can't go on. I can't do this anymore. I can't live this way. I come to despise the kind of person I was. I was ready for change. I didn't know the Bible. I never went to a gospel-preaching church. I never went to a church meeting. Never went near the thing. I'd hardly thought about God in any form whatsoever except to argue against the Bible from time to time. But that morning, something inside me said, I can't go on. I can't just hack on through life like this. And for the first time in my sinful, self-centered, relatively, let's be honest, relatively successful, it wasn't great, you know, but just relatively successful life, I said to myself, if Jesus Christ is alive, if Christ isn't the figment of someone's religious imagination." then maybe he could be the answer I'm looking for. I'd never had that thought in my life before. I look back now and realize that was what's called the prevenient grace of God. He was drawing me. He had been calling me unbeknown to myself, taking me into that cul-de-sac of life where there was no escape. Dragged myself from that bed for some reason. I took a few steps across the bedroom floor. I could see Glastonbury Tor from my bedroom window, famous landmark in Somerset. And for the first time in my life, I spoke to God. And I said, Lord, if you're there. That's where I was coming from, friends. Lord, if you're there. He is a man, I have no peace and no rest, I can't go on. I'm depressed as a dog, I'm down on the canvas, I just cried out to the Lord. I didn't know the Bible, I didn't know there was a Bible verse which says, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But that morning in the back bedroom of 42 Bovetown, Glastonbury, I could take you there, friends. I called on the name of the Lord from a sin-stricken heart. I didn't think in terms of cost or what I had to give up or anything. I was sick of what I was. I couldn't go on. And I simply called out to an unknown God in the hopes that God might hear me if he was there. In a blinding moment of time, that room filled with the presence of the Lord. No one had to teach me. No one had to indoctrinate me. No one had to explain anything. I knew that room was filled with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. I couldn't see him. I couldn't touch him. But I knew that Jesus Christ was alive. But I want to say this, dear friends, and I always underline this point. I thank God to this day, and it sounds strange to say it, but I thank God to this day that I wasn't in a gospel meeting. I hadn't gone forward to an altar. There was no one else there. No preacher, no evangelist, no fellow Christians, nothing. I was all on my tod in that room. 
Because I want to tell you, friends, I knew that morning that Jesus Christ was alive, but I wasn't born again. He revealed himself to me. I knew that he lived, but I wasn't born again of the Spirit of God. Now, that may be a problem to some in this congregation, I don't know. And in a sense, I'm glad, you see, because if someone had come along and said, well, what's been happening? I said, well, I, I cried out to God and he, he, he made himself, oh, well, now you're a Christian, you know, let's baptize you and get you into, see, but I wasn't born again. I knew that Jesus Christ was alive. Paul said these words in Galatians chapter 1, verse 15. He said, but when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace uh, to reveal his Son where in me, that I might preach him unto the heathen. At that point in time, the Lord Jesus Christ wasn't revealed in me, just I knew that he was alive. I had a touch on my life. The term restarted. At the end of that week, the Sunday was scheduled Two compulsory school services. You couldn't get the whole school in Glastonbury Parish Church, and so there was a morning service and afternoon service. And I had the afternoon service. Now, I tinkle around on the piano a wee bit, but I can't play the organ. In fact, I feel very uncomfortable playing the organ, but I had to play the organ for that service. And uh, got through the thing, and there's a man preaching. Now, I wasn't listening to the sermon. It was actually a Franciscan monk that used to come to the school. He'd come for eight years. He came to the school for a fortnight each year, and he boarded in one of the lodging houses there, and he went round the classrooms and so forth. And for the first few years of his visits, I was interested. He seemed to represent to me purity and single-mindedness, and consecration to one purpose in life, and something inside me longed for that. But after a few years, I lost interest. But he was speaking. I wasn't listening. I was fiddling around with the stops and just getting myself ready for, you know, the last hymn. And in the course of that sermon, he said something like this, that when folks came to him for counsel, they were really all telling the same story. They were trapped in their lives and trapped in their relationships and trapped in their jobs and trapped in their circumstances and trapped. And I'm not sure how many times he said the word trapped. But it's as if the Holy Ghost took that one word off that pulpit lectern brought that word all the way down the length of that church to where I was sitting on the organ stool and confronted me and said, Son, that's what you are. You're a man who's trapped. You're a prisoner. A prisoner of self and a prisoner of sin and a prisoner of circumstance. And I was. I was a man in a cul-de-sac of life with no through road. I was trapped. Now, I didn't know the scriptures. There's a wonderful scripture in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. 
You can quote it with me, which says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. I knew who it was who was confronting me with that word because he'd revealed himself to me in that bedroom. I knew the Lord Jesus Christ was speaking to my heart and confronting me with my sinful condition. And dear friends, I didn't know that scripture, but by the grace of God, I'd heard the voice of God and and I open the door of my heart to him, friends. In a glorious moment, he swept into my life and heart. It was like springtime after long winter, hallelujah. I could feel almost physically a 38-year burden of sin and wretchedness lifted from my heart. I didn't know any vocabulary, had no verses of scripture, didn't know about being born again. I just knew that Jesus Christ had come by the power that he was to live in my heart, hallelujah. He had revealed himself in me. He became a living inward reality. Friend, is he an inward living reality to you? Is God real in your soul? Is he real in your soul? See, many have had a touch of God. Many have experienced some supernatural sense of God's presence. Many want to be something other than they are. Many are sick of what they've been doing and how they've been living. And they want to change and they come to church and they get a touch of God. But dear friends, is he real in your soul? Is Jesus Christ revealed within you? As Paul says, he was called by the grace of God and the Son of God was revealed to him inwardly that he might preach him unto the heathen. At the end of that service I went, I was walking on air, I was walking on cloud nine. I just knew that God had filled me. And I went to the front of that church there and there were folks around lined up to see this monk, you know, and I got my turn. And I began to testify and enthuse to him and tell him what had happened and I was very excited. I said, you have to hear this. He looked at me like an owl on a post. His eyes were like the headlamps of a car in a car park. I realized this lovely, religious, dedicated man hadn't got a clue what I was talking about. I went on to discover there were many lovely religious men and women who'd never had the inward experience of a living Christ. Come Monday in that school, just like Graham on that corridor, I began to bother people. <laughs> Before school, morning, break, lunchtime, I told anyone I could. And I discovered some of them wanted to hear and some of them didn't. I thought they're going to want to hear about this. I mean, they'll want this when they hear this. Been there? Not everybody was interested. I remember one time we all had to do games, every one of us. And I'd done my particular game stint and I'd taken a shower, you know, in the... Gents changing rooms there and I just stepped out of the shower. I was standing there in the all together and a friend came in and I began to testify to him and I'm standing there with nothing on, just testifying about Jesus. It flowed out in those days, didn't it? Wonderful honeymoon period. 
Hallelujah. Just filled with the blessed spirit and the good news of Jesus Christ. I began to discover what had happened to me. Began to read the Bible. Went to some church. I think we went to the Church of England first. Thought God lived there. He didn't. Then we joined. We weren't married still. God had finished our relationship. Bang! Just like that. We knew that had to finish in that form right there. But we sensed from the Lord we could see each other in church meetings. So Anne and I went to lots of church meetings. It's the only way we could. <laughs> we couldn't go out together in that sense or have dates, I think they call them. <laughs> Had to discontinue all of that. But we went to church meetings. So we went to lots of church meetings. And we left the Church of England and we got involved with a charismatic church. And in those days, the charismatic church we were part of wasn't too bad. Okay, they had prosperity, they had kingdom now, we didn't really understand those things. But they had some sound biblical teaching in that church. We just stood there in the service and there'd be folks speaking in tongues around us. I began to inquire and they said, well, this is the baptism with the Holy Ghost. I'm right. So I began to look into the baptism with the Holy Ghost and I found the scriptures and they showed me the scriptures and I said, Lord, it seems that this is something I need, the baptism with the Holy Ghost. And so I began to pray and fast and seek God and, uh, you know, I got rather frustrated. My little tiny intellectual mind, such as it is, was resistant. How do you get to pray in tongues? How does that happen? It just baffled my entire rational thinking. I couldn't cope with it. and I couldn't get there. And I rather got frustrated with that. Couldn't get there. Couldn't find out how to get there. Sought the Lord. One day I was standing in the staff room, morning break time. Got my cup of coffee and five biscuits. I was a bit slimmer in those days. I could afford to indulge a little. You have to watch that now. It's called middle management. How many have a struggle with middle management? I, I, I think it's gravity. You know, it used to be here. It sinks down to here. But I stood by the wall with my coffee and biscuits, just minding my own business. Crowded staff room. When all of a sudden I saw a lady, a colleague, she wasn't a particular friend, just an acquaintance, walking in my direction. She wasn't walking towards me really, just in my direction. And in that unguarded moment, her face was a picture of anxiety. And as she came near, I said, used her name, I said, Margaret, something wrong? She began to tell me she had a daughter in her early 20s. She'd just come back from some African country. I think she'd been over there on voluntary service. She came back and she had this unidentified virus. And the medics just were stumped. They didn't know what to do. And she was in intensive care in Taunton Hospital in a kind of a coma. They were feeding her through drips. Uh, unconscious, and her temperature was off the scale. And the doctors were frankly saying to Margaret and her husband, 
She's fit, she's in good condition, she's young. But if this goes on, her heart simply cannot sustain that kind of fever. She will die. I just said to Margaret, but she wasn't a Christian lady. I said, do you believe in the power of prayer? Her eyes filled with tears. She didn't say another word. I just said, well, Margaret... A few of us are meeting in my classroom before school for prayer. Anne was among them. I said, we can't visit your daughter. We can't pray with your daughter. But we will pray for your daughter in those early morning prayer meetings. And so we did. I was sitting in that classroom one morning early. Well, early, I thought, quarter to eight. Not really early, but early for me. Doing what teachers have to do, mark books, you know, prepare lessons and so forth, get everything organized for the day's business. From my window on the ground floor, I could see right up the school drive, lovely morning, a bit like the weather we're having now. I glanced from the window, uh, through the window, and down that drive, I could see Margaret, and I could tell by her demeanor something had happened. In a few moments, she filled my classroom door, beaming like a Cheshire cat. Before she could say a word, I said, Margaret, something wonderful's happened, and it had. And the marvelous thing, brothers and sisters, was even before we began to pray, from the moment that the offer of prayer had been made in that staff room, the temperature began to come down, and God was working a miracle. She was in a normal ward, she was awake, she was weak, but she was awake, and she was eating and drinking, she was laughing, she was talking, she was on the road to recovery. God had performed a miracle. And the strange thing was, I never met that girl. To the best of my knowledge, Margaret never became a Christian. But she always remembered that situation. Well, time was going on, and Margaret went back to where she was in her classroom, and I was so excited. I was over the moon. God had involved little old me in a miracle, just a small particle of usage in that miracle process, and I was absolutely full of joy. And staff and students were coming in to the building and I had to find somewhere secluded and private and the only place I could find, I went down the corridor into the gents' toilets and I locked myself in one of the cubicles and I pulled the handle and I began to worship God. Oh, I praised him and worshipped him and when the flush settled down, I pulled it again and I carried on worshipping God. I was so happy, so filled with joy, so over the moon. I wasn't thinking about anything. I wasn't thinking about the baptism with the Holy Ghost. I wasn't thinking about those things. I was just free, lost in the presence of God when all of a sudden, wham! And you won't find the word wham in Strong's Concordance. But you will find a scripture which says in Acts chapter 10 in the house of Cornelius, while Peter yet spoke these words, the Holy Ghost fell 
on all those who heard the word. And they of the circumcision which believed as many as came with Peter were astonished because upon the Gentiles God had poured out the Holy Ghost for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Wham! Uncalled for, but God answered my prayer. The Holy Ghost fell. Like liquid electricity, I can still sense and feel that marvelous moment. And without any prompting, no one had to tell me anything. I began to speak with an unknown tongue. When the flush died down, I pulled the thing again and carried on speaking in tongues. And then the bells began to ring, real bells, school bells. And I had to get back to business and do my classes. But you see, I thank God to this day, and I, I have a little message on this, the answer comes in worship. Sometimes if we think about the thing too much, it almost blocks the way. But when we worship God, dear friends, our minds get loosened and freed up, and our thoughts are taken from us, and we're just focused on the Lord. And things you may be seeking God for, brothers and sisters, even tonight, you know, and you can't seem to get the answer from God and you're concerned about the thing, can I recommend just get into the worship grounds of God. Just get lost in wonder, love and praise. God has heard your prayers and in those worship times, he can just float the answer in and give you the glorious assurance you're looking for. The answer came in worship. And you know, dear friends, to this day, I thank God. He revealed himself to me. I was all alone. He saved me by his grace and revealed himself in me. I was all alone, effectively. And he baptized me with the Holy Ghost sovereignly. And I was all alone. And I tell you what, friends, there's something wonderful about testimony. Neither man nor devil can take those things from you. You can stand in the teeth of the enemy in all of darkness and simply say, you know, devil, and I know it happened to me. God has done a work. God has done a work. I want to say, dear friends, who was I? Nobody. What was I? A godless, Christ-rejecting mocker of Jesus Christ. I used to tell jokes about Jesus. But in the hour of my need, dear friends, in that moment of time, God revealed himself to me. And ten days later, he revealed himself in me. And some short while after, he fell upon me and equipped me to do what God has called me to do. Just a small ministry, you see. But we need the power of the Holy Ghost. Oh, I say there's a wonderful package that God has for us. It goes this way. Crucifixion is followed by resurrection. It's followed by ascension and the ascension gifts. It's followed by the power of Pentecost. We could stop at the cross. We could stop at resurrection. 
We could stop at ascension gifts or we could come the full nine yards to Pentecost. Hallelujah. And I was talking with your pastor this afternoon and saying one of the greatest needs in England is a glorious visitation of God and a fresh baptism with the Holy Ghost. Yes, it's been abused on this side. Yes, it's been denied by many on that side. Yes, it's been fooled around with and all the gifts have been parodied and pantomimed. But I want to tell you, friends, I'm here to testify, if to no one else but the church this evening. It's as real as Christ himself, dear friends, and he wants us to have it. It's the empowering, it's the glorious wonder of God's power. Really, it gets so wonderfully within you, you can't contain yourself sometimes. I still, even in my 70s, get excited, bless God, when the power of the Spirit begins to course through my physical frame and God is glorified. People think you're nuts but I tell them I'm mad but I'm glad. Glory to God because Christ lives in me. And I never knew anything about it friends. I had no Bible background. I never went to a decent church. I wasn't brought up in this nothing. I just came to a place in my life to know I can't go on and God may be the answer and I call on his name. I want to tell you friends, if you're here tonight without Jesus, you can call upon him. You can just call upon him. The Bible says in the prophecy of Jeremiah, I paraphrase, in the day and hour that you seek for him with all of your heart, you will find him. Jesus said, ask and it shall be given. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you, friends. That still stands fresh and true. And any person can come that way. You'll never be good enough to be saved and never bad enough not to be saved. You can come by the grace of God and seek him. You say, preacher, how long will it take? It might take six seconds. It might take six minutes, six hours, six days, six months. But the guarantee is, friends, if you seek him with all of your heart prepared to turn and confess your sinfulness and say I'm turning from that and crying for the mercies of God just as he met me friends and met thousands of others he'll meet you this evening or sometime down the road if you resolve to seek him with all of your heart do you know in those times of revival the Hebridean revival for example They didn't really pray folks into the kingdom. They let them struggle before God and seek him until they made contact with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you, friend, when that contact is real, the rate of backsliding is minimal. Minimal. There's a lovely story that old brother Duncan Campbell tells of a girl who was in Cardiff, not Cardiff, in Glasgow. She was a nurse from the Hebrides. And she'd been a good girl, a church-going girl all of her life. And there she was, and her parents were in the Hebrides, and she heard about the revival times, and she went back to visit there. And she came under mighty conviction. A good girl, a clean living girl, a church-going girl. You'd think she was a Christian, but she came under mighty conviction. To such an extent, her parents thought she'd lose her mind. She was weeping, she was in distress, and days were going by, and they called for Brother Duncan Campbell to visit and see if he could help her. 
And the man of God came in and he prayed with her, you know. She was in distress and then he pulled out his wee Bible, he turned to John's Gospel and he gave a wee word, you know, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish and he just shared a bit of that Gospel with her. She looked at him through tear-stained eyes. This was his testimony. And she said, Mr. Campbell, you should know as a minister that a verse of Scripture cannot save me. That's a marvelous thing. A verse of Scripture cannot save me. She'd heard those Scriptures before. She wouldn't argue with them. She would agree with them. She could say amen to them. But what she's saying is, I need to meet the Savior himself. It's only Christ Jesus that can save. It's not even an understanding of what the Bible says can save us. It's a glorious personal encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ who loved us and gave himself for us, friends. And oh, I fear me much, it's certainly true in England, you can't be saved by knowing how to be saved. You can only be saved when the Savior is met with in a personal and powerful, enduring experience, friends. That's a glorious truth of God. Oh, I pray in this house tonight that God will touch some hearts and draw some hearts. Reveal himself not just to them, but reveal himself in them. It all begins when you resolve. I can't go on as I am. I must turn from my sinfulness and trust in this Savior and seek until I find that great Savior. Friends, can I encourage you? He wants to be found. He wants to be found. And he wants to find you. But he's waiting for that seeking which will not turn back until the Savior be met. In his wonderful name, let's believe God together.